0: Welcome to The Shannon Plan. We are fresh off another 49ers victory, six in a row. Tampa Bay, 35-7, Tom Brady, heading into this game. And always, I'm joined by Akash. I feel like I have to say that every time. Even though you all know that. Headed into this game, people are wondering, how in the world is Brock Purdy favored over Tom Brady? And from the first drive, you saw the 49ers offense kind of hitting on all cylinders. And then the first drive defensively, You saw the 49ers get off the field, and that's what we're used to seeing. So Tampa Bay, just like most other teams, are going to have a little bit of success moving the ball. But when push comes to shove and over the course of the game, the 49ers defense, they give up next to nothing. And everybody's going to talk about Brock Purdy, and rightfully so. We'll get there. But I want to start on the defense side of the ball why are the 49ers able to have so much success? And it seems like an easy question, right? They have a ton of good players. They have the player who is second in the odds for defensive player of the year, Nick Bosa. They have the best linebacking core, arguably one and two at this point, the way Jerry Greenlaw is playing, who we'll get to. And they have a secondary who's capitalizing on turnover. So that is the answer. But when you watch the 49ers, when you see this defense play, why do you think they're able to, to play so well?
1: Outside of some of the things that you just mentioned, whether that's the talent, the coaching, how they are fundamentally sound, schematically sound. I think it just comes down to two things. It's team speed and effort. And the one thing that was evident on Sunday, whether it was watching the the actual game or you go back and rewatch it, uh, the all 22, the 49ers defense flies around at all levels. And it really starts with the tone setters in 54 and 57. Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw, those guys truly, it feels like are the epitome of this this defense in terms of they fly around sideline to sideline can cover just about anybody uh, in the pass game, make plays in the run game. They're just, they're unbelievable. And when you just when you watch the Bucks' offense against 49ers defense, it kind of reminds me, you know, in the NBA, sometimes you get some like slower, older teams in the playoffs playing like these high flying, you know, up and down type teams. And it's just like, it's inherently obvious that the slower, older team just has like, just doesn't have the horses to keep up. And that's kind of what it felt like. And that's exactly what the result showed us. The 49ers basically stomped out, the Bucks offense, and the only reason they really got a touchdown there was off, off of some like awkward deflection um and right into the hands of another receiver otherwise they may have not you know it may have been a shutout and this defense has been outstanding they are now number one in defensive EPA per play they are number two in dvoA you know across the six game win streak they're only giving up eleven points per game, which is absolutely stupid um. In the second half of games in this six-game win streak, they've only given up seven points. I mean, they are just they're they're playing phenomenal. I, I have nothing else to say. And truly the foundation of this team, and if they just continue to play this way, I I just have a hard time seeing teams score on them just because there's talent at every level, they're well coached, and then they play with, you know, whistle to whistle effort in the fourth quarter in a blowout, you know, they're still flying around to the ball, like it's a tie game. And I just think that's, there's no nothing else I can say.
0: Yeah, so I'm hesitant now to use season long metrics just because these teams are not the same from week two, week three, week five, week six even. So I filter from week eight, now from week nine on, and next week it'll be week 10 on. So from week nine, to week 14 the 49ers are number one in Epa per play number two in success rate number one in dropback Epa per play number one in dropback Epa or sorry dropback success rate you just go down the line and, and that really doesn't change anything you said but it gives us an idea that they're trending in the right way and they have been trending in the right way yeah. despite some of these injuries right so they got back eric Armstead and he's been huge he might not be showing up in the stat sheet but the plays that he's able to make, the double teams that he's able to eat up. Tampa Bay had 19 carries. I believe they rushed for 3.3 yards per carry. So the defense can make you one-dimensional, so it kind of takes the pressure off some of the liabilities that they have in the secondary. Lenore's been a lot more competitive. We saw they had a a blown coverage. that was They were fortunate to get uh, called back, but that's been the one Achilles' heel. But outside of that, they're getting so much pressure, and they're putting so much pressure on you that if you're not scoring at a clip where it's – like if you're not scoring 17 points, you don't have a chance because the offense is obviously going to score a ton. So they are very good. They have a ton of good players, and you could see it show up. They play together, which is a great sign. And I think more than anything, the pressure that they've been generating over the last month or so, they're finally starting to capitalize on turnover. We saw Gibson, um Gibson be the beneficiary of that. He caught a high pass, but that's because of the pass rushing. It will be interesting though. they are suffering um, some injuries along the interior. So Eric Armstead just came back, but they lost Hassan Ridgeway the week before. Now, uh, Kevin, Kevin Givens. Is. So those two, again, they're not going to be household names around the NFL, but if you have been paying attention to the 49ers this season, you are well aware of just the contr- contributions that the team has gotten from those two. So hopefully, Javon Kinlaw is able to make his return. Kyle Shanahan said that. The plan was for Kinlaw to come back next Monday, so after the Seahawks game. If they can get him back and up and running, that'll be a big boost. They are going to need bodies inside. But either way, the speed, I think, is a great point about this defense. They are a track team where the, the Bucks look like mile runners, and that was um, that was pretty apparent when you watched these two. You mentioned Joy Greenlaw, and we talked about him. So after the game, Fred Warner talked about how the way you guys are talking about me you should be talking about him. I haven't felt like that about Dre Greenlaw ever up until this year and more so the last month and a half, weeks. two months. Yeah. So. yeah. Like he's, he's been incredible. So sports info solutions has a stat. It's called total points saved. They have it for every position and Dre Greenlaw is second higher than Fred Warner in total points saved with 40. Um, obviously the interception him scoring a touchdown is going to inflate that a bit, but He's giving up completions, but he's not giving up yards, yards and that is yeah. huge for a linebacker. You're in a position to, to give up completions, but so long as you're not allowing you know yards after the catch and them to turn those four yard, five yard gains into seven and eight, much like the 49ers do on offense, that's how you win on defense, right? You just want to limit the big play. So Greenlaw is incredible at that. He's making tackles. At the line of scrimmage, he's making tackles in the back. Really. He has six tackles for loss. He's just racking up stats. And I feel like his aggression, his demeanor, the way that he plays, the energy that he's bringing to the defense is second to none. So the they're going to have to make a choice. Obviously, we thought about that before the season, right? Or like, do you play Dre Greenlaw or do you play Aziz Asshire? And they look. it looks like they made the right decision. So kudos to the 49ers. Let's turn the page here and let's talk about the offense because i mean the defense impressive shutting down tampa bay 7 points but to score 35 against tampa is probably more impressive especially when you consider third string quarterback especially when you consider you know all the moving parts that they've had all season and they really haven't missed a beat no matter who's been under center so that's pretty crazy okay first things first let's get it out of the way tivo samuel ankle mcl sprain the way that it looked, like he was folded like an Acme character. He's He looked like a Looney Tune character. Um, you would only see that in cartoons, the way he was folded up. Sure enough, he's not going to be out for this season. He's not going to miss a significant amount of time, which looked like it would be the case, right? So he's going to be back, they said, three-ish weeks is what Kyle Shanahan used. So that is pretty incredible to me, just knowing that you know he's going to be able to return. But let's talk about how much, first things first, Let's talk about the play. So they give Debo Samuel the same type of carry, essentially, they give him all the time, whether you want to call it like a jet sweep, whether you want to call it a student body left. The run was designed to go to the outside, or I should say the run was designed to get the defense flowing one way, and Debo gets a chance to, to react. Back. Yep, if there is a cutback, he can cut back. If he was going to follow his blocker, he's going to follow his blocker. They did the play to Christian McCaffrey a I think uh, the series before they gave Debo a similar carry also in the same game earlier. So you pick and choose when you get mad naturally because he got hurt. You don't want to give him the ball in that situation. Some people are under the impression that because the score was 21, nothing, you shut it down, right? You don't give your best players a ball anymore. Of course, players like Jerry Rice, who has an obvious imprint on this fan base. You hear Jerry Rice say anything you're thinking, Oh, He's the goat. he knows what he's talking about. He has to be right. In my opinion, this is pretty straightforward, right? You're trying to score, you're trying to move the ball. Kyle Shannon spoke about this after the game too. Like he's he's been burned in the worst possible spot by Tom Brady. He's going to try to score as many points as he can. I, it didn't, the play call didn't bother me at all. I, I, I never thought about why would you give Debo the ball in this situation? Not once did that cross my mind? If anything, in that situation, I would make Jordan Mason be the running back over McCaffrey, but I'm not going to, even then, like I understand why you are putting your foot on the gas nonstop. We complain about Kyle sitting on leads, right? So the time that he's being aggressive, the time that he's not running the ball up the middle, because because Debo was tackled in the box, it comes off as a bad thing. So, I mean, I, I want to get that little rant on my chest. I, I understand why people are frustrated, um, but this is football. and. Every play doesn't have to be like there doesn't have to be blame assigned to every play. Sometimes the defense just makes a play. Other times, unfortunate injuries happen. This is a collision sport. It's not a contact sport. It's a collision sport. There's violence. And we have to acknowledge that players get hurt, especially on this team, every game. So you can't pick and choose when you want to be upset about that.
1: 100%. I Immediately after I I said something along the lines of, well, if you're going to get mad about Debo Samuel getting the handoff there, then you shouldn't be upset when he gets the handoff in the first quarter and turns the corner for like a 13 yard touchdown run, because when it works, you don't complain, but yet, you know, because of the result, we get upset and you know, that's just not how, how it works, right. It's football injuries happen. It obviously sucks. uh, In terms of not having Debo Samuel, but On the flip side, he's only going to be out three-ish weeks, uh, is what Kyle Shanahan said on Tuesday. So it's not, you know, an ACL or, you know, something worse, which is what most of us feared when you saw Debo Samuel get folded up and then cry on the cart. You thought his season's over. Like, I'm thinking, damn, like, are they, you know, is he going to be healthy coming into the next season? Like, that's immediately where your mind races. And to hear that, you know, he's only out a couple weeks, best case scenario for the 49ers. Um, from that perspective, but no, I agree. I think if you're Kyle Shanahan, you're trying to be as aggressive as possible. You know, it was still only the second quarter, you're still only up 21-0. You saw Tom Brady just come down from, you know, a, a two-score lead last week in the fourth quarter. So you just can't mail it in and play the clock for three quarters. So that's the easiest way to get Debo Samuel the ball, right? Kyle Shanahan said before. The only way I can guarantee that a certain player gets the ball in a given play is to either hand it off to him or throw him a screen, right? Otherwise the coverage dictates where the ball goes. And so I I had no problem with the play call, just, you know, unfortunate. You know, I thought maybe there was a lane for him to follow George Kittle to the outside. He decided to cut it back. I've got no problem with that because we've seen Debo Samuel cut it back and have the vision and the burst to basically house any play. And unfortunately, maybe Ayuk missed a block on Devin White, didn't have the angle, got rolled up on, Um, just unfortunate. But yes, it does bring up the point that, you know, just because Jerry Rice or some high-level players just say something doesn't necessarily mean they're always right. Um, And it's unfortunate that he did say that as the game was going on because the discourse just went off the rails as a result. Um, Because people were just like, well, Jerry said it, so it doesn't matter, you're wrong. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, let's go watch the play. It's not just a run up the middle. He's not just. It's not like, it's not like a dive play. He's not just saying, yeah, I run between, you know, the A gap or whatever. It was a, it was a run designed to go to the outside. So, it is what it is. Luckily, Debo Samuel should be back before the regular season ends, and uh, hopefully, we'll have some fresh legs, you know, heading into the playoffs.
0: The way that the play was drawn up. Like, it wasn't decided to go up the middle. Even if it was, think about the touches that we've seen from Debo. In the past few weeks, he's turned some negative four-yard gains into – essentially, he's Houdini when it comes to this. So he's used to breaking tackles. He's used to fighting for every extra yard possible. And this time, it just happened to take a toll. Like, it's football. That happens. But let's talk about how much they're going to miss Debo because, as I said, they can throw him a screen. And he makes a three-yard gain look like one of the best highlight plays you'll see. And more often than not, he's taking that three and turning it into seven and eight. Will they be able to do that now? Are they going to lean on more George Kittle? Is it going to just be an easy substitution? And now you maybe have to overuse Christian McCaffrey. Do you use McCaffrey more as a receiver and rely on the rookie Mason? Or are you going to funnel your offense to Brandon Ayuk? Like there's a lot of options that they have, thankfully but there's no replacing Debo just from a physicality standpoint, from a playmaking standpoint. So what what do you think happens? Who takes the spot? Is it going to be just spread around
1: evenly all over? Or are we going to see an uptick in somebody like uh, Kittle or Mason? You know what's amazing? Debo Samuel went down on Sunday and you're like, "Eh." you know, the 49ers still have Christian McCaffrey. They still have Brandon Ayuk. They still have George Kittle. They still have Jordan Mason, who's come on over the last few weeks, right? He's averaging, I think, nearly six yards of carry. He's very... um, Small sample size, but he's provided some punch. Juwan Jennings, who seemingly makes uh, these, like, critical third down plays, they still have a ton of talent on offense, even without Debo Samuel, which tells you how talented this offensive roster is. And so, yeah, it's going to be difficult without Debo Samuel. I expect the... You know, the plays just to be spread out. I would expect an uptick in targets for Ayuk and Kittle. Uh, Ray Ray McLeod's going to see some extended playing time. Uh, Kyle Shanahan spoke highly of Danny Gray, said he's been playing – he's been practicing with more urgency over the last six weeks or so, uh, even though the opportunities just haven't shown up on game day because some of these other guys have just been healthy, playing well. So I could see him potentially getting some snaps there. Um, but, yeah, I've, from a run game standpoint, Christian McCaffrey, Jordan Mason probably – Again, we'll take some of the carries there and I think it'll just be a you know, a committee effort to replace Debo Samuel over the next few weeks. Luckily, if they're able to win this game in Seattle and we'll we'll get to the playoff implications, the next couple of weeks to close out the regular season may not mean a whole lot in terms of, you know, seeding and things like that. Um, assuming they win on Thursday. So it might not mean a whole lot, but I think it's just, you know, uh, by committee. I don't think there's one person that's gonna be able to just replace what Debo brings uh, to the offense.
0: Yeah, because if they beat the Seahawks, they're division champs. And yes, you're playing for seeding because you're the three seed. You would much rather have the two seed. So you have that home game in the divisional round, but you have the commanders, Raiders, and Cardinals. You probably, and I'm, I'm using the word probably for a reason, you probably don't need Debo to beat those three teams with all the other weapons that we're talking about at the same time, you want to make sure that, you know, you can get Debo's legs underneath him. Um, you want to get him into game shape that way you don't have to rev him up during the playoff. So it is a tricky situation. And the 49ers will cross that bridge when they get there. But before we get to the Seahawks, you know, we have to talk about the freaking quarterback, Brock Purdy. So Mr. Relevant himself, Big Brock, and how quickly they come up with these nicknames is pretty impressive. So, Purdy, seventh rounder, Mr. Irrelevant, comes out. And there's a lot of play action used. Let's not get that confused at all. So I think the first game he he had 25%. This game, I think it was 27%. So he's still being protected from the play action. And to be fair, that's most of Kyle Shannon's offense, no matter Trey, no matter if it's Jimmy. That's just what he does. He's been heavily reliant on play action essentially all of his career as a as a play caller. So still. What Purdy's doing is executing. What Purdy's doing is playing on time. He's accurate. And more so than Jimmy, and I don't want to say Trey, but it feels like Trey, even though it's a small sample size, Kyle was moving the pocket, getting Purdy on the run. And even in the drop-back passing game, even if it was play action, Purdy was using his legs to extend the play within the pocket. So you saw subtle pocket movement um, on plays to Kittle, on plays to Debo, where there was a guy in his face. He was under pressure. And that really didn't phase Purdy. and I thought that was the most impressive part. No, I shouldn't say that. That was the second most impressive part. The most impressive part to me about Purdy's performance was when Tampa Bay blitz, when Tampa Bay brought pressure, which his numbers were very impressive when he was under pressure, Purdy was looking to go up top, right? He was looking to go over the fence. He was looking for that home run. And he got it a couple of times, but this wasn't an isolated event. We saw that against the Dolphins in his very first series. He looked down the field to Debo. The ball, like the ball, was the pass was incomplete. Probably should have been a DPI. The next series, he did the same thing to Ayuk, and that one was a DPI. So we're seeing him look at that third level, and that's opening up the field. And I, I, in my opinion, that is a big reason why the 49ers were able to run the ball as successfully as they did. Yes, Christian McCaffrey is a monster. He's a very good player, arguably their best player, and he's going to break long runs like that. But because they're using the entire field, it's only going to make life easier defensively. Or sorry, it's only going to make life easier on Shanahan and allow him to use the entire playbook. So I thought that was the real takeaway from Purdy. I know he, they didn't do much in the second half because they didn't have to. They were, they had a large lead. And you know why keep allowing your quarterback to get hit or just put him in a position to get hit? So I thought the game plan was excellent. I mean, Shanahan mostly, for most of the time, he is pretty excellent. But... I thought Purdy executed at just an incredibly high level and and made the plays. I, th- I thought that he was a very competitive player, which that resonates with the locker room. I thought he was fiery. Like all those cliches that you hear that doesn't seem to matter, but I thought for sure that they did this time. What what were your impressions of Purdy? And I guess, let's what I wanna say here is, before I pass it to you, I do wanna see him on the road, right? because he was in a favorable position knowing both of these first two appearances were at home. The Bucs were a little banged up. They didn't have Vita Vea. They didn't have either, neither of their starting safeties. The Dolphins just aren't a good defense. Seahawks aren't a good defense either, but it is on the road. It is in a hostile environment that just leads to a crazy amount of variance. So that's the next test, but he's, I mean, he's passed the first two tests with flying colors.
1: Absolutely. And again, two weeks in a row, I've been extremely impressed with Brock Purdy. I think just his poise, right? It doesn't feel like it's a seventh round rookie making his first start um, with, for a team that has playoff implications. I mean, this isn't the Texans where you're making a start and it doesn't really mean anything. I mean, these games mean something, right? They're trying to win a division. They are trying to win playoff games, trying to win home playoff games. and Brock Purdy's just stepped in, and A is executing the offense when it's there. And then the second reaction plays have been, I think, where he's been a step above some of the other quarterbacks in this system, right? You mentioned that play to Debo Samuel. that's just you know, a boot concept, but the defensive end, I think it was uh, Joe Tryon, Shoyinka, he crashes. And Purdy just evades him and makes a throw on the move off of one leg, like, across his body and hits Debo Samuel in, like, a tight window. Um, The other throw you mentioned to Kittle, that was on third down, where I think Jake Brendel, like, allows the pressure. Purdy kind of sidesteps and moves up in the pocket and hits Kittle over the middle for, like, a 20-yard gain. Um, And those were second reaction plays. Then the other reason why I think the locker room and the coaching staff is so impressed is because he's such a tough mf'er. I mean, the touchdown throws, the first one to Christian McCaffrey, he knows he's going to get drilled. He he gets lit up at the end of the play, yet he hangs in the pocket and throws a a beautiful ball to McCaffrey down the sideline. And then the other throw to Ayuk on the double move where it's, He he has the pump fake and then he lets it go. Again, same thing, free rusher in your face and you hang in there as long as you can and let the throw go. I mean, the ball was slightly underthrown, probably because he couldn't step into it, but just getting destroyed on these passes and yet still delivering these balls down the field. The 49ers had two touchdown passes outside the numbers, 20 plus yards with Brock Purdy. They've had none with Jimmy Garoppolo over the last three seasons. And his ability to use all parts of the field at all points with his added improv you know, improv and mobility in the backfield has just, like you said, opened other things up for this offense, this run game. And again, I don't know if he's going to be able to keep this up, right? We're going to find out he beat the Todd Bowles test. Now he gets the Pete Carroll, doesn't blitz as much. Test on the road in Seattle, hostile environment, short week, primetime game, and we'll see what happens. We talked at the start of the season, like we wanted to see Trey Lance in all these situations and how he responds. Unfortunately, we, you know, he got hurt. We haven't been able to see that. And now we get to see Brock Purdy in some of these different situations. And so we'll see how he responds, especially what with what's on what's at stake on Thursday, where if they're able to win, obviously can win the division. Um, be the first team to clinch their division would be the earliest the 49ers have clinched the division since 2011 so a lot's on the line here and Purdy's been impressive man he has been a consummate pro and we'll see we'll see but it's been as impressive as for a a, you know a two-game stretch as we've seen from a 49ers quarterback in a while
0: yeah that's all it is man I mean we have to I don't want to say judge on a, a grading scale, but like he's a seventh round pick. So you're not going to judge him as a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, who's been in the league for a long time and has familiarity with the NFL and the speed of the NFL. We're not going to judge him the same as we would Trey Lance because he's not the number three overall pick. The 49ers didn't trade up multiple first round picks to get him. So with that in mind, he's playing out of his mind when you put all of that into perspective. Now he has to do it again, right? So let's turn the page and let's talk about Seattle because I was talking with Vish earlier and we were talking about teams that can give the 49ers problems. Teams, the, the NFC's elite. I feel like everybody would agree. It's it's it feels like a three-team race to come out of the NFC. It's Dallas, it's Philadelphia, and it's San Francisco. In some order, nobody would argue or there's going to be endless arguing of who the top dog is, who's the worst. But I feel like everybody would come to an agreement that in some order... Those are the three teams. Seattle, in my opinion, is a team that can threaten the 49ers defensively because where they're susceptible, down the seams, you can attack the safeties one-on-one, and then just their corners. I feel like Lenore has came along these last couple weeks. He's been much more competitive, and that does matter just to be in position. But there's still like an athleticism disadvantage when he is on the field and against a superior wide receiver like he'll be against this week. Against DK Metcalf against Tyler Lockett, who, in my opinion, is one of the better receivers in the NFL. So um, I, I would be interested to see how Seattle attacks the 49ers defense. Will they be able to hold up is the big question. Right. So Geno Smith is kind of tapering off. I mean, he's kind of coming back down to earth, which felt like was going to happen a month ago. So for him to last this long is, is impressive in itself. But if there are plays where Geno does have time. It's going to be difficult for Gibson, for Hufunga, for Lenore, to hold up in coverage. So that that's what I'm going to be have my eye on. And as I said, like we'll, we'll see, you know how aggressive D'Amico Ryan's is because I mean more often than not he's used to sending four, and one of those guys always gets home.
1: Absolutely, and and you know as we kind of turn the page here to Seattle and just looking ahead to the game on Thursday, their offense is just kind of falling off of a cliff. Right. They've obviously lost Kenneth Walker, uh, their rookie running back. He may play on Thursday. We'll see. But Geno Smith, uh, I think he was fifth in EPA per play over the first five weeks of the season. He's now 18th in his last kind of nine weeks. Um, And his worst game of the season was against the 49ers. If you look at kind of the advanced metrics where they didn't score a point on offense and now he's regressed and he gets to play this 49ers defense again. I just, I have a hard time seeing them have success on that side of the ball. And it isn't, I I think their pass protection has actually held up pretty well, but he's just, I think, turned the ball over a little bit more. Just hasn't played as well as he did in that first stretch. And so I have a hard time seeing them score in the 49ers, uh, especially considering they scored none in week two. And then you flip the other side of the ball. Seahawks run defense has just been getting gashed. They've given up 200 yards on the ground two times in the last, five weeks, I think they've given up 100 yards, at least 120 yards, I think, in the last five weeks, every game. And so teams are just pounding the ball left and right. Um, and I'd expect a heavy dose of Jordan Mason, Christian McCaffrey this week, I, you know, the 49ers ground game has looked really good the last couple of games, and I'd expect just that trend to continue. And so that type of a game script just favors the 49ers where they're able to control the clock, they're able to run the ball effectively. And just kind of choke you out. And I think they know what's at stake this week. I think they kind of smell blood in the water a little bit. The Seahawks team is reeling. I think the Forty Nine ers are the hottest team in football right now over the last six games. And I just, there's a reason they're three. There's a reason that they're three and a half point favorites. And I just think they take care of business on Thursday. that's simple. These
0: two teams are certainly trending in the opposite direction, right? So Seattle, um, they're coming off a. They lost to Sam Darnold. I guess is the easiest way to put it, right? And the 49ers, when they play quarterbacks of that caliber, they do not struggle. And, and Seattle, they knew that Carolina was going to run the ball. They knew what Carolina was going to do, and they still couldn't stop And that seems like it's been the case. Um, we always talk about, you know, who's the mark. Whoever 57 on Seattle is for sure the mark. They are going to run at him. They are going to isolate him in coverage, and he is going to have a long day, whether it's Garden Kittle, whether it's McCaffrey, whether it's just trying to stop the run in general. I think they are I think Shanahan is going to be able to take advantage of their linebackers and their second level defenders. So that is not what you're really what I'm worried about. I'd be surprised if the 49ers score anything under 24 points, which again, but they put so much pressure on you because of that that it makes like that one mistake you make on offense that's usually the difference in the game and um we saw Tampa Bay make multiple mistakes. Tom Brady was off, like he was really off and I, I don't think it was just the pressure getting to him. So we'll see if that's the case with Geno because, again, if you're not making these throws consistently, if you're not making these routine plays, you get behind the sticks, and now what? So um, that kind of happened with Seattle. They had to play come from behind, and they just had to drop back and throw the ball the entire game. That does not work against the 49ers. If you try to do that against the 49ers, they will make you pay, whether it's Nick Bosa, whether it's Charles Minahew, or as we're seeing as of late, the linebackers getting into throwing windows And making plays so they can hit you from all over the place, they can have playmakers at every level, and that really does make a difference. I'm interested to see if we see uh, a Talanohu Funga type game, right? So he's been, I mean, I don't want to say quiet, but he hasn't had that game changing, that wow play that we're accustomed to seeing for the first two months of the season, essentially. So it's a good opportunity. Um, Gino does like to stare down, he will tell you where he's going. So if Funga can get a jump, he has a chance to get back on, you know, just get back on the playmaking side of things. Before we get out of here, let's let's make some predictions because it sounds like we both agree that the 49ers are going to win. I I do think Seattle will score. I think they're going to have more success than we've seen, than the Bucs, than the Dolphins, than the Saints had. The Saints were able to move the ball. They just couldn't punch it in. The Dolphins, I mean, they had a couple of fluky plays, but I that – never really felt like that game was in question. I don't know the score might've seemed close, but and then, then the Bucs, I mean, they were, <laughs> I had, a I bet the Bucks team total under, I was very confident that they were not going to score more than two touchdowns against D'Amico Lyons. Just that they looked exactly like they did Monday night, essentially, except for that, if you just remove that late touchdown drive. But I think Shane Waldron, the, the Seahawks offensive coordinator does a good job of attacking, opposing defenses and knowing that you know Hufanga and gibbs in the middle of the field like the seams is what I should really say not the middle of the field knowing that's where the 49ers are susceptible that's where i can see a big play happening and again they've been fortunate in the past couple of games that to not give up more so that's where i'm going to go i'm i'm going to i'm going to say 24 to 13 is is what i would what i'd imagine i think the 49ers are going to like you said just Put the Seahawks offense in a little stranglehold and getting out to a lead will make a big difference. And I think that is very critical, very important. Will Purdy continue to keep a clean sheet? He was fortunate last game. He had an interception that was called back or that was negated by a penalty. Will he make the, the oh no mistake, the rookie mistake that, you know, everybody's been kind of waiting to happen since he is a seventh rounder or will he just keep playing within the offense, right? Will he keep making plays with his legs? Will he take care of the ball? And to say that he's a game manager couldn't be further from the truth because game managers don't make that throw to Ayuk for a touchdown. Game managers don't make that deep pass to McCaffrey for a touchdown. So I feel like if that's how you're viewing Purdy after these two appearances, you are selling him short. And the fact that we're even talking about the 49ers scoring 24 points on the road against a divisional rival for the NFC Championship kind of says it all.
1: Absolutely. I've got them winning 27-17. It's pretty simple. I think they're better on both sides of the ball. They know what's at stake. These short week Thursday night games are always weird, especially against Seattle. I expect Pete Carroll and that coaching staff to just throw something at the 49ers, right? Last year in Seattle, they had a fake punt. It just feels like it turns into a kitchen sink game and it always gets a little weird. So I think it ends up a little closer than maybe it should be that, which is why I think it's going to be like a 10 point game. I just think 49ers defense has been on a roll Seahawks offense has been trending the wrong way. Um, and then the Seahawks run D against this 49ers offense just doesn't seem like a fair fight. I think 49ers are able to control the trenches um, on both sides of the ball. And ultimately, like I said, they know what's at stake. They win tonight or they win on Thursday, they win the NFC West, and you know, just focus on seeding from that point forward and getting ready for the playoffs. And I think Brock Purdy just continues to play well. Doesn't mean he's going to have a clean game necessarily, right? I, I just feel like the way he plays, he's going to have some interceptable passes. Um, but ultimately, I think his plus plays will outweigh those. And I just – there's enough talent on this offense to go around, and I think I think they put it away. I think they put it on the Seahawks this week. And uh, we'll be 5-0 and in the NFC West. We'll be on a seven-game win. I just think – I just think they take care of business. It's that simple. With that, we appreciate everyone uh, listening to The Shannon Plan wherever you get your podcasts, um, Spotify, Apple, et cetera. Uh, Rate us five stars, drop a review, comment, question, et cetera. And where can we find you on social, Kyle?
0: Uh, Kp underscore show on Twitter. Uh, Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just type in Kyle Posey. I need to, I still haven't rewatched the defense, and I want to see, I I really just want to watch Dre Greenlaw. And I want to see how he's taking his game to another level. Should probably get something on him. So maybe I'll, I'll come up with a, a video on Dre Greenlaw there. So check it out. Again, rate, subscribe, review. Leave us five stars. Comment on if there's any topics you'd like us to talk about. We appreciate you listening. And always, go Niners.